be with you tonight. I always feel like I'm coming home. And praying that the Lord will help me to um, <clears throat> preach a sermon that you can actually hear. I preached this morning in Providence, and I was fine. I don't know what's, what's happened. I would like to publicly thank uh, Bill Clark and Cecilia for your ministry during this year. Um, <clears throat> people ask me, well, what, what's it like, you know, to retire after you've been here for so long? And I said, you know, it's kind of like walking your daughter down the aisle. It's really what it is. And giving her away. And I feel, the, you know, I feel those kind of feelings. Obviously, I have affection for this congregation and I um, uh, <clears throat> care deeply about her. And uh, I know she's been in good hands. And I hear good things about your ministry. Thank you very much. And I also um, feel very um, positive and very hopeful from all I know about Pastor Will Snyder. And um, as I've prayed for the transition, as I prayed for Bill during the year, and as I prayed for Pastor Will Snyder, the, f- the phrase that keeps coming into my heart is, is I pray for a long and fruitful ministry for them. Um, I think long because it, because it just takes time to, to build good pastoral relationships. Um, and, and obviously I pray for a long and fruitful ministry for them. Well, you'll be hearing enough about him and uh, what his role is and the expectations that the Presbytery puts on him and the expectations you're going to put on him, even in the best of intentions, and I guarantee you he feels the pressure already. I, believe me, I know. I understand these things. What I want to talk about tonight is your duty in contributing to a long and fruitful ministry on the part of Pastor Wilson. That's what I want to speak about. Um, And let me read my text. I'll be using several passages, but let me read my text. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Remember 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Difficult congregation. I've often said, only half-jokingly, no pastor in his right mind would want to be the pastor of that church. Um, critical. Gave bad reports about him. Um, were willing to put the worst spin on what he did and said. And all sorts of things like that. And Paul persevered in Christian love uh, toward them. By the way, I don't feel like you've been a Corinthian congregation. There's nothing behind this in what I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> so Paul says, after kind of opening his heart about how he has been faithful through various sufferings in the ministry, then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen or open your hearts also. And then notice also over in chapter 7, verse 2. Paul says, make room in your hearts for us. The in your hearts is not in the Greek, but clearly that's in the context, the sense of, of what he's saying. So as we dig into this, let us pray. Father, thank you for your very great faithfulness to this congregation, your kindness in so many ways. Thank you for Bill Clark's ministry and ably helped by his dear wife. And thank you for bringing Will Snyder and his family also to this flock. And we do indeed pray um, a long and fruitful ministry and a good pastor-people relationship. 
And Lord, I pray tonight that I could open up the scriptures so that this flock, those here tonight, would feel something of their duty in the gospel toward this. And I pray that I might not add to your word or take away from it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God is sovereign. I know that. And you do too. And he has determined how long Pastor Will's ministry and how fruitful it will be. It's in his counsels already. We're not going to add to it or take away from it. Uh, He is sovereign. He will bring about that fruitfulness. However, our sovereign God in his wisdom is also a God who uses means. Does he not? He doesn't just say sit back and don't do anything. He uses the means of the word. He uses the means of prayer. He uses the means of brotherly love. As I want to show you tonight, you have a very vital role to play as a means in the fruitfulness and longevity of the ministry of your new pastor. And by the way, he didn't put me up to this. He had no idea what I'm preaching about here tonight. Um, So from this text, let me state the main thought, main point, and then I want to give you five motivations to be this kind of open-hearted people. Here's the main point that I take from this. I want to insist on your gospel duty as a congregation to maintain an open-hearted affection for your minister. That's it. I want to insist that's your duty in the gospel, to maintain an open-hearted affection for him in the gospel. That's precisely what the apostle is is pleading for. We have opened our hearts to you. You haven't opened your hearts to us. Open wide your hearts to us. In so many ways over the years, you have done that towards me. And I'm very grateful to the Lord for that. Again, this is not a scolding. This is, remember this and keep up the good work. Because it is so important. Everybody has their responsibilities. Pastor Will has his responsibilities. Pastor Bill has his. The elders, they all do. But you, as a congregation, have this responsibility. And so... Let me set before you now from the scriptures five motivations for you to maintain this open-hearted affection towards your minister. The first motivation is this. You should maintain an open-hearted affection to your minister because in Christ, God has opened his heart to you. And I almost don't need to say any more than that. I could almost... Almost stop there. And if my voice gives out, I will. But that's good enough. The gospel is precisely why Paul had the courage to speak as he did. In some ways he says, I'm speaking like a fool. I'm telling you all about my sufferings and my trials. And I think it's hard for pastors kind of to, to open up on their trials, um, some more than others. And I think we're afraid we're going to be seen as complaining. Or something like that. But Paul finds the courage in the gospel to say that to them. Uh, Because God in Christ has opened his heart to Paul, he's able to open his heart to these Corinthian sinners. I remind you of 1 John, for example, chapter 4, 
verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His Son into the world, His only Son, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So I say to you, the first motivation then for your maintaining an open-heartedness is because in Christ, God has opened His heart to you and to me, wretched rebels that we are. Think of it. He calls us sons and daughters. He calls us His beloved. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why should we keep an open heart toward our minister? Because the gospel is true. And I can't say everything in one sermon, and, and please don't sit there and say, yes, but shouldn't we maintain an open heart toward everyone? Yes, of course we should. But the text is talking about your open heart toward your minister. So that's what I'm preaching about. Uh, next Sunday night, you can talk about you know, <laughs> open heart to, to everybody else if you want. But that's the truth. As I say, because of this great truth, you almost don't need to say any more. However, Scripture does say more. Scripture does give other motivations for keeping and maintaining an open-heartedness toward your minister. The second one is this. Maintain an open-hearted affection toward your minister because it is your gospel duty to open your heart to others. Now, now are these two points the same thing? I don't think they are. The first one was an indicative. The first one was simply declaring what God has done in Christ and therefore. This one is just making the imperative out of it. Because of that, it is an imperative, it's a duty on your part to maintain uh, this open-hearted love toward your pastor. Paul says, I have opened my heart widely to you. You should do this toward me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, a powerful and exceedingly countercultural view of love. First Peter 1.22 Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Notice the commandment. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In that sentence, he demolishes two myths about love. The first is the worldly myth, and that is love is a feeling, and you either have it or you don't, so you can't possibly command it. Not true. The God who created us and redeems us centers his whole moral will to us in the command to love. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What do you mean it can't be commanded? It's commanded. All the time that we love one another. Now, the second myth, I think, is more of a Christian myth. And I think it's a reaction to realizing how hard that commandment is. And it is a hard commandment. And I fail miserably at it. Loving my wife. and I, I, My grandchildren are dear to me. I fail towards them. We all do. It's not that we're good. But, but I think that, that the, the weight of that commandment maybe makes us back off, and we kind of say something like this, and I've heard this, so love is not a feeling, it's just doing your duty. Well, that's half right, but it's half wrong. 
Yes, love is doing your duty. I grant that. But if it's not a feeling, then Peter is wrong. Because he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, I don't mean love is a feeling in a silly, worldly sense. I don't mean that. I mean it in the sense of a religious affection that God, the Holy Spirit, can work in us. Um, but I mean, just try that at home. You know, uh, honey, I brought you these flowers, but there's really no feeling behind it. I'm just doing my duty. See how well that's going to go over. Not going to go over well. Uh, honey, I made you your best favorite meal tonight, but I really had no feeling. I really didn't want to do it, but it's my duty. See how well that goes over. You see? But why would we say the same thing toward God then? Why would we trivialize and cheapen the idea of what love is by saying that it's not any kind of feeling? Of course it is. And God commands us to love with sincerity from the heart. Our duty must engage the heart or it's not acceptable to God. And granted, because we fail so miserably, only the God of the gospel can enable us to do this. I totally admit that. There's no way you and I can just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and decide, well, we're just going to be these nice, loving people now and all that kind of stuff. not going to happen. It can only happen because of the blood that flows from Calvary's cross. <clears throat> I'll take a water break here for a minute. Third motivation, to maintain an open-hearted affection towards your minister. It's because <clears throat> it is a mockery of Christian love if we settle in our understanding of love for politeness, civility, tolerance, and formality. That mocks Christian love. That's why I'm appealing and saying it must be an open-hearted affection, not a mere tolerance or civility or formality or politeness. That mocks Christian love. Listen, folks. The world's a bad place. We all agree. And sometimes the world is dog-eat-dog, is it not? However... In offices and schools and neighbors, neighborhoods sometimes, you can see people being civil toward each other, can't you? You can see them being polite, getting along with each other. You can see them not killing each other, right? Well, as far as the world goes, I'm good with that. I'd much rather have a neighborhood where people weren't killing each other and where, as unregenerate people, were just civil and polite. I'll settle for that. That's fine. But not in church. Who are we kidding? Who are we deceiving? If we think that that is fulfilling the obligation to Christian love, because it absolutely is not. <clears throat> Christian love requires us to love one another sincerely from the heart. <clears throat> It's not enough for the church to play the world's game and settle for civility and for tolerance. As a matter of fact, I would go further to say that if our view of love, in this case towards our minister, is reduced to that, we are feeding ourselves with hypocrisy. <clears throat> 
we, th we think to ourselves, oh, I don't really like the minister. I tolerate it. I said hello to him this morning. I'm, I'm civil. I smiled at him. Well, just pat yourself on the back. Why don't you? Why don't you just, why don't you just hang a sign around your neck and say, what a good fellow I am. What a good lady I am. I hope you get my point. It's not what the scripture talks us, tells us. And it's just another way of saying we desperately need the work of the Holy Spirit if we're ever to do this. It is your duty as a congregation to maintain an open-hearted affection towards your ministry. Minister, the fourth motivation is this. Because if, this is a positive one, if you do maintain this open-hearted affection, it will enable the church to flourish. It's not the only thing, it's not the only factor, I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying the scripture tells us that here is one important one. Again, let's look at the fruits of Christian love. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, just one example. <clears throat> you know these words. Paul says, Speaking the truth in love, there's that love thing again. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see the picture there. It's a healthy, flourishing body. And what is the fuel that, that promotes the healthy, flourishing body? It's Christian love. It's dealing with each other in love. It's speaking the truth in love. And in this case, we're applying that in light of 2 Corinthians 6 to your open-hearted affection for your ministry. It's so important, brothers and sisters, if he's to have a long and fruitful ministry among you. <clears throat> I keep looking down at my notes because I forget this pulpit is just a little off with my, with my glasses here, and I don't see my notes as well as I used to. I must be getting old or something. <clears throat> I hope no one's thinking again. Let me say this again. Why are you letting the minister off the hook? Why are you talking to us? Again, because that's what the text is saying. Uh, we'll talk about the minister some other time. But I do think, well, I know for a fact there are, there are such things as pastor-eating churches. This isn't one of them. You had a pastor for 38 years, so you're obviously not. Uh, I think there was a lot of affection and love toward the pastor. But there are pastor-eating churches. And we have to be careful of that. And, and it often starts with this gossip, with this believing bad reports, with this finger-pointing. Um, in marriage counseling, I used to see this finger-pointing dynamic. I might talk to the husband, and I'd open up some aspect of the duty of the husband. And what was sometimes his response? What about her? Not really letting what I just said sink in. What about her? Open up some aspect of the duty of a wife. Let, let that sink in. And she said, but, but what about him? You, you see the point? The point is, what about you? How about if you conduct your duty before God, and then you'll have a more fruitful marriage? And I think that's what I'm saying in terms of pastor and people. Yes, of course, the pastor has his responsibilities and obligations. And and. I know pretty well they're very serious and sobering ones, and so does Bill Clark. We'll be judged with a stricter judgment and all that kind of thing. But I do think sometimes in our culture, the church, the congregation thinks it doesn't have a big responsibility 
We're just to do the, uh, you know, the like thing on Facebook, whether the sermon was good or not. I liked that sermon. I didn't like that sermon. I liked that one. Well, his personality's good. I like that. He does a few good things. He doesn't do bad things. Get away from that. We're not playing here. We're not playing social games. Um, if you maintain this open-hearted affection to your minister, it will be a means by which your church will flourish. Ephesians 4. 15 and 16. Finally, probably give you more if I thought about it, but I'll just stop with this one. Again, a positive one. The duty of maintaining an open-hearted affection toward your minister not only will cause the church to flourish, but will cause your own soul to flourish. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. When you come to church of a Sunday morning, that should be the way you seek to listen to a sermon. Not, did he have a good story, or did he have a good illustration, or did he make me laugh, or did I like it, or didn't I like it? It's not Will Snyder's word. It's the word of God. And you're to receive it. As you so regularly and often did from your older minister too. And, I, and I'm, I'm thankful to God for that. Again, I'm feeling passionate about this, but I'm not scolding you. I'm saying I think this is vitally important, and I'm pleading with you to keep up the good work. That's really what I'm saying. It's not that I think you've had some serious defect in this. But you see, if you don't go to church that way to listen to a sermon with your heart open, if your heart isn't open to the messenger, it's not going to be fully open to the message. Because in receiving the word of God this way, Paul says, which is at work in you believers. So, if you come to worship and you're really hard-hearted toward the messenger then you're hindering the work of the Word, which is not going to do its full work in you then. So if you want the Word to do its full work in you for the good of your soul, then come with that open-hearted affection. doesn't mean you say He's perfect. Say He's a sinner saved by grace, appointed by God, brought here to feed my soul. Any pastor will take that. Not to be perfect, not on a pedestal. That's not the point. And it doesn't mean you can't have hard conversations with them when necessary. I'm not suggesting that. Uh, love demands that, that there might be a hard conversation at times. I remember <clears throat> many years ago, uh, I, I didn't even notice this at first. I, I guess it was partly my bad. I didn't notice this. but uh, and, and a woman later told me, she said, I was so mad at you, at me, I couldn't even look at you when I preached. And I, I should have noticed that somehow. I mean, we weren't a huge church. I, I don't know. I just, I just missed that. I was so mad at you. I couldn't even look at you when you preach. Now, whatever the cause of that may have been, do you think that was a good place for her to be? Do you think that was a good place for her soul to flourish when she came to church and couldn't look at the one who was preaching the word? Now, the story, in a sense, was no big deal. It was kind of a tempest in a teapot. It was an alleged sin of omission on my part. And uh, who was at fault? Sure, I was at fault. 
Was she at fault? So I'm sure. But a Christian brother who was friends to both of us noticed this, brought us together, and it was beautifully resolved, and we were friends, and it was forgiven, and you know, all this was done. But you see my point? If you can't come to, to church and listen to the word with an open-heartedness toward the minister, that's so going to hinder the work of the word in your life. And that's not good. You want the word, as Paul's praise in another place, to run freely and to flourish. So I'll say it one more time. God is sovereign. He will rule the church. He will bring such fruitfulness as he desires. He will make Will Snyder's ministry last as long as he wishes, and the fruitfulness that he wishes. However, that should not cause us to sit back and not do our duty. Because God is a God of means. you agree with that? He is, right? I mean, he's a, he doesn't bring children to the world and just say, oh, let them fend for themselves, right? No, he appoints parents to take care of them and bring them up and raise them and all that kind of thing. And he doesn't expect them to just by osmosis learn everything. He points teachers and all that kind of thing. So God does use means. And I'm convinced, that, and I think Scripture is saying this very clearly if you look at 2 Corinthians 6. One of the reasons the Corinthian church was such a mess was it did not have an open-hearted affection toward its minister. It's so crucial for that to be true if the church is to be flourished. Again, I've spoken with passion about this because I feel it deeply, having been a pastor for many years, having been a counselor of pastors in in a number of occasions over the years. I kind of know this dynamic. I kind of see how it works. Um, I, I, I have often thanked God and been so blessed by the love, the respect, the open-hearted affection that my flock showed to me, an imperfect, sinful man. What I'm saying to you, as Paul said to the Thessalonians, is keep up the good work. Keep up doing what you've been doing, because I want to hear in years to come, to the glory and praise of God and the good of your souls, that you are maintaining, indeed, an open-hearted affection to your new minister. May God bless you. Our uh